All right, so today we're going to continue in our study on the Beatitudes, and we are on a Beatitude um, given in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And we're going to be talking about the heart of men today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. Amen. That's an amazing, an amazing promise that we will see God face to face. Today, we cannot see God because if we did see God, we would not live because God is holy and we will not see him face to face. But there's coming a day that we will be as holy as holy is and we will be able to look God face to face and that's going to be an awesome day. So how we get there, we start by conditioning our heart and that's what we're going to be talking about. The two words that pop out of this message to me are pure and heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart. We're going to talk about what does it mean? What's pure and what's, what's heart about? So for us to gain the insight that Jesus intends for us to gain here, um, we have to look from the Jewish context of what's happening here. What are the Jewish people seeing? And I say this every weekend, every week about the Beatitudes because Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. He's not speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to Jewish people. And they're young in their faith, and they're on this mountainside. And so we need to understand the best that we can from a Jewish context. What are they hearing? What are they taking away from these simple little beatitudes that Jesus is giving that turn into great discourses of our faith? So let's talk about first the heart of the person. What is the heart of the person referring to? Now, we often think that the center of man's intellect and the center of our being is our mind. We think through our mind, right? That's normally what we think about. But biblically speaking, the Bible speaks to the center of a man as their heart. It's the very essence of who we are. It's the center of our emotions. It's our will. It's our personality. It's, it's our very personhood is centered in the heart of a man. Yeah, we may think in our mind, but the person that God is speaking of comes from the, the heart because it's more than just what we think. It's who we are. It's what comes out of us. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. It's a very important part of our being is our heart that the, that the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says, guard your hearts, people, because it's very important what you allow into it because what's ever into it flows out of it. And then Luke says that a good man, Luke 6.45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You can get to know a person pretty quickly by just being around him a little bit and listening to him talk. What, what are his jokes about? What are his uh, idle words about? Yeah, we can all speak good churchy words when we're around churchy people, right? But yet when you get around a person and hear him speak outside of the context of that, you kind of get the character of the man by listening to his words because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the Bible is referring to the 
whole of one's intellect and emotion, source of will of the man. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the heart. So what is Jesus saying about the significance of a man's heart? And where would the mind of the Jewish audience be taken here? So to look in the Old Testament, the imagery of a man here pertaining to a man that is striving to be a member of the kingdom of God or a man that is really pursuing God, it describes both the inner purity of the heart and the way that it's connected into a singleness of mindness as a follower of God, right? So the heart of a righteous man is guarded and controlled by God. The heart of a righteous man is controlled by God. And out of this kind of heart comes feelings and emotions that are in line with the heart of God. And these produce the desires for righteousness and justice. I mean, the feelings bring out the desire for our actions. We kind of, this is what we talked about last week a little bit when we were talking about the beatitude there. And then these actions and desires turn into acts of love and mercy. And those are all pleasing to God. So the heart that is guarded by God, good things go into the heart and good things come out of the heart based upon what God was doing in the heart of that person. However, we all know that that's not the natural characteristics of humanity. From firsthand experience, don't we? That's not naturally what comes out of my heart, nor is it naturally what comes out of your heart. Because the heart of a sinful person is evil beyond our comprehension. I mean, we have to look at our starting point if we're going to have an appreciation of our ending point. We have to know what we're starting with. Now, I just came last week. We had a, yesterday, we had my daughter and her son-in-law, my son-in-law, our son-in-law. They have twin babies a year ago. And so yesterday was their first birthday. So, of course, my daughter, Aubrey, um, she's over the top on some things. And uh, she just did a wonderful job putting together a nice birthday party. And um, so we celebrated a birthday of these little twin babies. And I got to tell you, there was nothing evil in those little girls. They were just sweet and cute. I, I couldn't believe it. But yet, at the same time, That's not what God's word says about the heart of men. Our beginning point is not real good. When you think about it, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, the the New Living Translation says that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. He had ever made man and put them on earth. Hear this. It broke his heart. Can you hear that? Do you you believe? Can you see that? That that the evilness of man's heart broke the heart of God. And it was broken because at one time, man's heart was perfect. At one point, mankind was perfect. Holy, it was not contaminated. It wasn't contaminated by sin until the fall came where men chose, Adam and Eve chose Satan over God. And as a result, they broke fellowship because God can't have fellowship with evil. 
So without a major intervention of some kind, mankind was doomed to be eternally separated from God. And that broke God's heart. God loves his creation. He loves humankind. So obviously when men chose to live for Satan versus living for God, that caused God and still causes God great pain and great distress. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Genesis 6, 7 through 8 tells us that, and the Lord said after this, I will wipe out this human race I've created from the face of the earth. And yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, all the animals, the small animals, the large animals, and everything that scurries along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them, but I love verse 8. <laughs> but Noah found favor with the Lord. And therefore, Noah now becomes our source of hope <laughs> because God saw in Noah's heart not the evilness necessarily of what was in the world. So once again, the, the Jewish listeners of the day would be very familiar with that, and they would also be very familiar with Jeremiah's description of the human heart not centered on God in this way. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And this is, look at this passage a minute. It's not just that the heart is wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked. And the word deceitfully is the, is the, is the major word there because, see, if wickedness, if I see it full force, I can kind of deal with it. I know how to deal with something that's wicked because I know how to defend myself. Maybe even if I see wickedness in myself. But the word deceitful, though, is the problem because deceitfulness fools me into thinking that wickedness isn't as bad as what it's supposed to be. I mean, it gives me a justification for myself because now I can start comparing myself on a different scale because I don't understand wickedness necessarily because I'm deceived by it. And that's pretty serious. Deceiving wickedness is the worst kind because it says I'm not as bad as God thinks I am. As God, as God knows that I am. I need to know this. So the heart of a man is not originally created as it was. It's been contaminated and it's broken and it's deceived by wickedness. And for those that think that we're going to get better on our own, because there are some that think that because we're enlightened now in 2021 and beyond, that automatically our, our hearts are going to become more like God and we're going to get more into utopia and we're going to get better. Well, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says these words. In verse 18 through 20, he says, But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So this is New Testament speaking now. This is Jesus speaking. That the heart was, that was once pure and holy, that was drawn to the perfection of God and the holiness of God, now is the very thing that takes us away from God. Because the heart of a man is the center of our emotions, the center of our will. And the, the, the heart that's contaminated with sin does not know God and cannot know God on its own. And that's what Jesus was explaining here. And the impure heart is drawn away because we have a willingness to follow evil. 
That's the amazing thing, is that the deceitfulness of, a, of the evil fools us or convinces us that, no, what the path that we're on is not so bad, so we continue to follow it, and we go deeper and deeper and deeper in evil, and we don't even know it. That's why we can't overcome evil on our own. That's how I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps, by, in, in so speaking, and, and create a pure heart within my, myself. I can't do it. I don't have the source to do it. That's why Jesus had to break the power of impurity by dying on the cross and providing all mankind a way of a heart regeneration. It's a miraculous thing that happens. It's a miracle that Jesus can redeem a broken heart that is full of sin and deceitfully wicked. I mean, it's the amazing grace that we started by talking with this morning. It's the amazing grace that God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit even agreed (laughs) to send Jesus to earth to be our redemption. And without that, I have no place in God's kingdom. No matter how good I am, no matter how much money I want to give to Joshua, no matter how much money I give to the church, no matter how many good things I do, I can't recreate my heart. Only God can. So going back to our, past, to our, our, our scripture today, our text is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So now that we know what the heart is, what does pure of heart mean? What is pure of heart? Well, first of all, we have to know that God is pure. God is pure, and everything about his character is perfect. Pure is defined as free from anything that does not belong, free from contaminants, unmixed with any other matter, spotless, stainless, without anything at all that would give any sense of impurity at all. That is what a pure heart is about. And there are many ways to define purity and purity of the heart of a man, but they all define the heart of God. There's nothing impure in God's heart. Think about that for a minute. And that's the way he created us to be. Adam and Eve were pure of heart. They could look at God face to face and look upon his face and have direct conversation because of their hearts were pure. And that's what God requires of our hearts. Think about this. God requires it. We, God is not diminishing his character so that in heaven we can have, be face to face with him. God is not changing. God has been holy from the very beginning of his existence, which never was, by the way, if you can appreciate that. But his holiness does not change. What changes is our holiness. We have to develop in our heart through the miraculous redemption of Jesus a change of heart. It's impossible for man to do. Only how God does it. So how, God, how does God change the heart? How does he change your heart? That's a great question. Nothing I can do on my own. I'm a part of the process. 
However, I have to be a willing part of, the, of God's miracle. He doesn't change it without my intervention, without my willingness to be part of it. He's not going to come down and if you choose not to have a, 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 a holy heart, he's not going to change it, just so you know. So you have to be, I have to be part of the process. So the first step in developing and maintaining a pure heart is, first of all, I need to recognize that my natural heart is not pure and that it needs to be purged of the impurities that are in it. I have to recognize, first of all, that I'm sinful. You know, it's frustrating when you see people that need help and you go try to help them and they either reject your help or they waste it. The reality is a person can't be helped unless they want to be helped. No matter how down and out that person is, you can try to help them, but if they don't want to be helped, there's nothing you can do to help them. What you end up doing is just enabling them to go deeper in their sin. You know what I'm talking about? And that's the way God looks at us too. The only way that we're going to be helped by God is that we need to look at ourselves and first of all see that we're sinful and that we need to be helped. That is the first act of forgiveness and repentance. And I know this church knows about this. We've spoken about it a lot, so I don't need to go into this in great detail today. But this happens in the heart of a man, and it's been this way from all of Old Testament and New Testament. The heart is created to be holy. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, the Mosaic law said this. The Lord said to Moses, he said, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, your, your Lord God, am holy. So, this is not just a New Testament thing. This is an Old Testament thing. This is where the minds of the Jewish people were that they were listening. They were, they were thinking of these kind of things. For Jesus to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, they would go back to a passage like this of the, of the, of the Mosaic Law and say, yeah, that makes sense. I remember, I remember in the book of Levit- Leviticus in the Torah that we were told to be holy because God's holy. And it's also emphasized in the New Testament by the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, make every effort to live in peace and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's consistent, Old Testament and New Testament. Holiness is the mandate of God that our hearts need to be converted from this impure heart that is full of evil beyond what we can know, deceitfully wicked, and it has to be converted into a holy heart. So let me ask this question. Is this a one-time event in the life of a person? Boy, I wish it was. (laughs) I wish that I could say, God, you made me holy back when I was 12 years old. (laughs) Unfortunately, we know it's not. Because if it, was, if, if it was, it would take all the pressure off me to live a holy life. It would just say that I could live the life I want to live. Because God made me holy one time. You see, the reality is that even a regenerated heart, even a heart that has been saved and made new, still struggles with sin. Still is tempted by the devil. You want proof of that? 
Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? Jesus had a holy heart, never contaminated. But yet when Jesus went into the desert to be tested for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil was right there tempting him. The devil is going to be right there tempting you and I too. So we're going, there's going to be that struggle with sin. Even when our hearts are pure and holy before God, the devil is not giving up on you yet. Not until the day you take your last breath. So that's why we need to guard our hearts as we have been talking about. But here's the thing. You might fall. You just might fall. And what happens when you do? What happens if I fail in the process of living? That's a big question. And we need to understand what God, how God thinks of that. So there's a tale of two kings and two hearts that I want to talk about real quick. These two kings were very well known to the Jewish audience. I'm talking of King Saul and I'm talking of King David. The first two kings in the history of the nation of Israel. The thing I want to emphasize here is what the Bible says about King David and no other person. Because the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Not any other prophet. David was the only man that God spoke that of. So that makes me wonder, what is that about? What's so, about, what's so special about David that God would say that? That he's a man after God's own heart. I think we're going to find out it's that how, he re, how David reacted when he recognized that there was sin in his heart. Because David wasn't a perfect man. So as we take a look at the difference between King Saul and King David, we're going to understand how it affects how the heart of a man is affected by sin. We're told in the Old Testament and also in Acts that Saul was removed from his kingship by God. Acts 13.22, after removing Saul, Samuel removed Saul. God, through Samuel, removed Saul. He made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. And I wish I had an hour or two to go into the full lives of David and Saul. In fact, back a number of years ago, I, I, did, I actually preached a message on that. And it was kind of interesting because I went back and read through it this past week. And it was a pretty interesting message. But I want to give some similarities today that details the heart of Saul and David and how they were similar. And you can go into 1 Samuel and read this. 1 Samuel, there's a number of chapters here. That's the story I'm talking about. So what are some of the similarities between Paul, I'm sorry, between King David and King Saul? Both kings were chosen by God. Both were chosen. Both kings were successful men of war. Both kings were politically astute. Both operated prophetically. Both sinned against themselves, against God, and against the Jewish people. Both had opportunity to repent and be restored. 
King Saul had the same opportunities as David to repent. The difference, though, is one king rejected the opportunity of repentance and the other one accepted it. One was rejected as the king and the other remained the king. You see, King David was anointed king of Israel by God and declared a man after God's own heart, even though God knew that David was going to sin. God knew that. Yet he still said, David is a man after my own heart because he saw the way David was going to deal with his sin. So don't be confused here in that God would say that David's a man after his own heart when David is a man just like you and I. I mean, I could see God saying that Jesus is a man after God's own heart because God, Jesus' heart never sinned, right? That would make sense. We could accept that. But when God says that of a man who sinned, more than once, then how would God say that he's a man after God's own heart? Well, we're going to understand here because the major difference between King Saul and King David is how they reacted when they were confronted with their sin. Again, we don't have time to go into the detail, but it's all recorded in 1 Samuel that Saul never recognized the sin in his life. Every time that he was confronted by Samuel, the prophet, Saul had an excuse. He had numerous justifications as to why he was doing what he was doing that was wrong, why he did it. He never said, yep, you know, right, Samuel, you're right, I'm wrong. He never said that until at the end, and then it was too late. He never accepted the responsibility as something he had to repent for. Listen to this. This is why it's so important that we recognize our heart, that we don't allow the deceitfulness of our heart say, no, you don't need to repent. As a result, the end of King Saul's life was not good. After much continuous turmoil, he ended up taking his own life on a battlefield by falling on his own sword. Not the way a king should die. Well, so what about David? David was a man like you and I today. David was not anything special. I just want you to recognize, sometimes we look at these Old Testament heroes as bigger than life. As these are the people, they wore capes, and they could fly, and they could do things that are different than us. No, they were people just like us. In fact, not even given as much advantage in life as we have because we have the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our life all the time and they didn't. There were times when the Holy Spirit would come upon them but the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the church world at that point because Jesus hadn't come, hadn't restored men and he hadn't gone back to heaven to send the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until the day of Pentecost. So let's not make these men bigger than what they are. David was a man just like you and me this morning. And his sin was terribly wrong. And he tried to cover it up. David, I'm talking about the sin with Bathsheba. David may have thought that the whole incident with her was covered up and that God would also forget about it. He could cover it up so much that God would not even really see it. The only person after he killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, The only people that knew what had happened 
was Bathsheba. And he had married her by this time. And he was living in her household, in his household, and she was probably silenced by her motivation of fear for her life. Because we don't know that they actually fell in love. That's a different kind of marriage at that time. The Old Testament marriages were so much different than ours today. So David thought all of his bases were covered. He thought he had it figured out. So he thought. He looked over, he overlooked one small thing. And that is you can't hide your heart from God. You can't hide from God. And then comes the difference between King David and King Saul. And that, that same difference maker for him or recognizing sin is the same for you and I today. Just so we recognize this. When the prophet Nathan came to David and confronted him about his unknown sin, because Nathan was told this by God. Nathan didn't see it. Nobody told Nathan about it. This was a man that had a lot of boldness to go to the king and confront him with a sin that the only way Nathan knew about it was because God had told him about it. It's a pretty amazing story. But what David did here was something very hard to do. David immediately recognized his actions as sinful And not only sinful, but they were detestable before the Lord. And he repented. He didn't justify. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, you know, I was a long time and da-da-da. He didn't go through any type of a justification process. He immediately went to a humble, contrite heart and repented before Nathan. That's the definition of a pure heart. That's the definition of a pure heart. A heart that understands sin, and when you've sinned, you repent. It's not perfection. It's pure in your repentance. Jesus was the only man that ever lived with truly a pure heart in the first place. And God understands the heart of a man. And he knows that the heart of a man desires purity, but can't have it unless the man goes to God. So how does a man have a pure heart before God? By continuously seeking to have one. There has to be desire in your heart. There has to be that acknowledgement that I might sin, and when I sin, I need to come back before the Lord. You have to have a heart of contriteness. You have to have a heart of humility. You have to have a heart that is quick to repent on a daily basis, quick to say, yep, I messed up again, and you need to be humble before the Lord. I mean, that is the heart that pleases God. It's that, it's that heart that is aggressively pursuing a deeper relationship with the Lord. You know what I like about the Beatitudes? Is that all the Beatitudes besides the first one are all future tense. They're all taking us somewhere that we're not today. In fact, let's just read through them. He said that, Oops, let me, maybe I didn't have it written down. Let me just read this to you. Matthew chapter, let's read through the Beatitudes one, once more time. One more time. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 9. Listen. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense. Pure in heart, poor, poor in spirit, you are in the kingdom of God the moment that you accept Christ. Present tense. Okay, now, this is, the next ones are leading us somewhere. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will, in the future, be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, I can't see God today, but I can in the future. As I live a heart today that's pure before the Lord, there will come a day that I will see God face to face. Now, I can see the impact of God in my life. I can see the footprint of God in my life. I can see the footprint of God's goodness in this world, but I can't see God yet because I'm not perfect yet. So the, the, the Beatitudes are leading us someplace. They're pulling us along to a, a aggressive and a progressive heart of righteousness and holiness. What we're going to be talking about next time is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, they will be called the children of God. So God is expecting us to be progressing in our faith. That's why this is not a one-time done deal. We're progressing, we're living a life, we're growing in our relationship with him, we're actively serving him, we're actively involved in church. We see church attendance as important, and not just attendance, we see participation in church as important. I get involved with the body of believers that I'm with. This isn't making church any more important than that. We are a part of an active body of believers, and we are part of the family of God, and somebody's an arm, somebody's a leg, somebody's a foot, somebody's a nose, somebody's an eye, and when we're all actively doing our part, we're an active, functioning part of the body of Christ. But I can't choose not to be part of it and still be part of the body. God has called me to be a foot. I can't say, no, God, I will be a part of the body if I can be the eye. He doesn't negotiate with us on that. I'm a foot. And I want to do what the foot does. Right? You get, you get, you get the drift here? We can't be wishing we want somebody else's gift. We know what God has gifted us with and we get busy being that part of it. And when we all do that, you know what happens? We become a very functional part of the body of Christ and we can be part of the big C church that way. When people come in and say, no, I'm going to, be pick, I'm going to pick and choose when and how I want to be part of the church, can I say that you're disappointing God to some degree there? Because you're taking yourself out of the functionality of the body. You're not doing what God's asking you to do when you're part of the body. That's what the body, that's what Paul talked about in, in Corinthians when he talked about the, I think it was in Corinthians, what did it, it was Thessalonians. Which one was he talking about? I don't remember. He talked about the body of Christ. That's where we've got to be. We need to have a continuous hunger to learn more about God and to read and study God's word and to pray and seek his daily guidance and so on. There's so much more. What it's not, it's not a relationship based, at what I, based upon what I did yesterday. Even though God is a great record keeper and God knows what I did yesterday and I'm going to be, be rewarded for those things that I did yesterday, God doesn't d- diminish, that's not, I'm not diminishing that at all. It's, that, it's just that I don't live in yesterday. I don't live in yesterday's glory, nor do I live in yesterday's sin. I'm forgiven from that. I'm released from that. It's not a prayer that I said yesterday. It's not anything that said I was, I was once better in the good old days. No, the good old days weren't that great. I'll just tell you, they weren't. Yesterday's experiences are what they're meant to be. Yesterday's experiences, my future is what I should be concerned about because my future will be better 
than my yesterday when I am aggressively and progressively and intentionally pursuing God. I love that part. Jackie, would you come, please? This is in no way trying to say that we're earning our salvation. No, not at all. What we're doing is we're learning how to grow up in it. We're yearning and, and, and we're desiring a closer relationship with Jesus, all because of that marvelous and miraculous love that he had to recreate that broken heart, to make it pure and holy. One day, one day we will see Christ. One day we will be in that final body that we'll see him. And at that time, we will be pure and holy and undefiled. But until that time comes, we're not to be discouraged in our ever-striving body. I want to encourage you today. You're going to make a mistake. God knows that. He sees that. He's not going to throw you away because you make a mistake. The key is that we recognize what it means to repent. And we do so willingly and regularly because we want a growing relationship with Jesus, right? That's what I want. I know that's what you want. And that's how we maintain the purity of heart that God requires is because it is a process of being sanctified. It is a daily process that we set up ourselves apart from the world and we strive to be more like Jesus on a daily basis. Do you want a pure heart? That's the question. I can't answer that for anybody else besides myself. So I want to end the I want to end the service today by reading Psalms 51. This is the heart cry of David. This is how David repented after Nathan confronted him. This is what David prayed. Would you stand up with me as we read God's word? Read along with me as we read 51, Psalms chapter 51, beginning at verse 1. It says, have, this is David's heart cry. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse 7 Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will, will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. 
You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be altered on your altar. Amen. Amen. That's the heart of a contrite, pure in heart person. That's why Jesus says, David is a heart, has a heart after mine. And he can say the same thing about you and me today. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, first of all, we recognize our sinful nature. Our rec- we recognize that the beginnings that we have, that we started off cute and cuddly, but yet the heart deep within us was not righteous. It was not holy. It was evil. It was deceitful. So Lord, I pray that we don't find ourselves comparing ourselves against people on human standards. God, I pray that we would find ourselves holily righteous comparing ourselves against your standard because of the blood of Jesus. Only because Jesus died in my place and I receive the propagation of sin. I, I, I receive that. I receive his forgiveness through a repentant heart that I can say that I'm holy and righteous before you. Not my righteousness, but your righteousness. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. And just tenderize our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I encourage you, folks, that this is a daily prayer. This is not, it's not once in a lifetime, and it's not just on Sundays. (laughs) It's a daily thing, right? Let's live that way. Let's sing the song that Tom and Jackie are playing, and let's just... uh, Ask the Lord to create in us a new heart.
Father, that is our prayer this morning, that you would create a clean heart within us today. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the miraculous power of the cross that we can come to you, Father, and lay our lives before the cross, sinful and broken. And you judge us not there. You say, yes, I receive you and I forgive you. (laughs) And that gives us a new heart, Lord. It gives us joy of salvation, a hope and a promise for tomorrow. Lord, that when this life is over, we're going to see you face to face. What a promise. What a holy promise that I can stand on. And that allows me to get through the problems of this life. It allows me to walk with joy and peace and confidence, knowing that I have a a holiness in store for me that this world cannot offer and cannot take away. So I declare that in this body today. Everyone that's hearing this message, I declared in the name of Jesus that that would be our prayer. And thank you for your faithfulness unto us. And we declare your righteousness and holiness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Have a great day.